0: Hello and welcome to the Pre-Raphaelite podcast brought to you by the Pre-Raphaelite Society. My name is Carl and I'm joined by Alex, Hannah, Sherry and Esther and we are the podcast team. In this first episode we'll introduce ourselves to you, we'll discuss some of our hopes and intentions for the podcast and discuss some of our favourite artworks and poems. I'm going to start introducing myself. I'm Carl Merrick, I'm a second year PhD student at Birmingham City University, and I'm studying Swinburne's Poems and Ballads alongside the Victorian Gothic. I'm arguing that pre-Raphaelitism and Swinburne in particular, shared a number of processes with Gothic literature, such as undecidability, transgression, and a fragmented or fractured approach that borrowed across various historical time periods. That's me. I'm going to pass it on to Hannah.
1: Hello, yes, I'm Hannah. Um, I had the very great luck of growing up just a two-minute walk from Whitty Manor, which is a National Trust property in Wolverhampton, with an amazing collection of puraphylaite art, particularly um, artwork by pre like women artists and from that developed my passion. so I'm a freelance art historian, art literature historian and curator. Um, I worked at whittick for a number of years and curated the Beyond Ophelia exhibition there which is the second only exhibition, a second only solo exhibition of Elizabeth and siddle's work and then I was an assistant national curator in the National Trust. Um, and while that, while I was part of that role, I also curated at witick the with Sarah Hardy the Look Beneath the Luster exhibition of Evelyn and William de Morgan's work, which is still there at the moment. If you want to see it in the de Morgan Gallery, bit of a plug. It's there for a few years. So yeah, my focus has been particularly looking at the female paraffleite artists, um, with a focus on Siddle, but kind of I'm un- broadening my horizons at the moment. So
0: yeah. Okay, thanks, Hannah. Let's pass it on to.
2: Esther. Hi everyone, Um, I'm Esther Diaz, I'm a PhD student at Universidad Nacional de Educación a Distancia UNED uh, in Spain. Um, I'm writing my PhD dissertation on uh, poetry and uh, more precisely on how poetry can be uh, translated from English uh, into Spanish but also how poetic language can be uh, transferred into other artistic means such as music and visual arts. I wrote my master's dissertation on the influence of uh, John Kitts and the parapherlites. And yeah, well, uh, even though my PhD dissertation um, covers a little bit more than just uh, Victorian poetry, um, I'm also studying modernism or even to Sylvia Plath. Uh, but I'm still focusing a lot on the pro I'm analyzing, uh, currently I'm analyzing uh, Christina Rossetti's um, Goblin Market. And yeah, and it's adaptations into uh, illustrations and also the music uh, written based upon uh, that uh, poem. And yes, so that's more or less about me. Um, still. Um, I'm right now, well, for, from this year on, I'm actually working at the university too. This is my first year as a researcher. I'm like a um, pro, I don't know how to say that in English. I don't know if you have a time for it, but it's like a pre-doctoral researcher at university. So, yeah, hopefully this is going to be a very interesting year.
0: And I'm going to go across the ocean now to Sherry.
3: Hi, I'm Sherry Schrader. Um, I'm the American of the group. I'm in Houston, Texas, and I just finished my master's at the University of Houston, and my thesis work was on reframing the Pre-Raphaelites under the Orientalist lens, and so my focus was on William Holman Hunt's The Finding of the Savior in the Temple, um, Dante Gabriel Rossetti's Astarte Syriaca and William Morris's Peacock and Dragon design. Uh, Currently, I am working on looking at the Dream of Sardopolis by Ford Maddox Brown, which is a piece that is um, in the Museum of Fine Arts, Houston. And so luckily, since I work there, I have um, easy access to to viewing it and working with it as I do my research.
0: And last but not least, um, over to Alex.
4: Hi folks, Yep, yeah, my name's Alex and I am a first year PhD student at Birmingham City University. Um, I pre- I'm predominantly concerned with looking at pre like women artists and writers. And I am really, at the moment, really interested in their networking relationships and unearthing some of those. Uh, whether that be um, relationships they, that contributed towards political activism or social acti- uh, activism, uh, or if they merely just support each other and encourage each other in the um, in the studio or even at home or as friends or you know any kind of relationship that they formed amongst the, uh, amongst themselves. Uh, I'm also a trustee of the Birmingham and Midland Institute, which is uh, an institution in Birmingham, obviously. <laughs> And uh, it's very culturally significant, so I'm kind of plugging that in as well. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing. Uh, The majority of my research as of late, uh, um, leading up to the current moment, has been on Rebecca Solomon and the the Solomon family. And I've also been looking into some of the poetry as well, especially with Christina Rossetti and Lizzie Siddle.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, everyone, for introducing yourselves. So I was thinking we could have a little chat about the scope that we've got for this podcast, I always think it's a shame that this hasn't been done earlier. I, I feel there's podcasts for sort of every art and cultural movement you can imagine, but for some reason, there hasn't been one for pre-Raphaelitism. And I, I feel like we've really hit on an untapped resource here. I don't know what you feel.
3: Um. I I think I I definitely agree with you, Carl, because that's how we came into contact is I was doing a poll because I was looking at doing a podcast on the pre-Raphaelites and we're in some of the same, you know, different societies and groups and I was doing a poll and you were like, wait, this is what I was looking at doing too. um so it was like common minds coming across you know together to work on a project
0: great minds think alike Sherry
3: <laughs> yeah I was just going to say that it genuinely
4: shocked me as well like when I started getting into pre raphaelitism because I started getting interested into it um in my during my undergraduate degree and I initially joined the society then I was genuinely surprised with how you know, there hasn't been a podcast and there never ever has really been one to our knowledge. So I, I don't know. It's, I feel, it's feel nice. It feels like I've come full circle because I'm actually in it now, in <laughs> the very thing that
1: I was thinking about years and years ago. So it's quite nice. Yeah. And I think there's some really incredible work um, going on at the moment. I mean, with um, my colleagues on this phone call and their research and also the exhibitions and the interest, I think it's an incredibly, um, important, interesting moment to kind of look at the reassessment of the Paraphaelites and look at kind of the way they're being exhibited and written about, curated, which is kind of um, an of interest of mine. So yeah, I think it's a great time to be able to talk to different kind of, for us to interview different practitioners in the field and different researchers and curators, writers, poets, and really get their thoughts and opinions on what the Pre-Raphaelite movement is and what it represents both then and today,
0: so. Absolutely, I, I think even, amongst our team the breadth of topics we could discuss it is really quite impressive i i think thinking about having guests on well we've got students we've got professional authors we've got museum curators we've got university lecturers current working artists and poets it's really quite impressive
1: and musicians like yourself carl
0: Well, it it, you know, it's a strange thing. Pre-Raphaelitism and music, I've noticed a lot of crossover. I I can feel a journal article coming on between the overlaps between pre-Raphaelitism and particularly English traditional music.
1: Mm. I
0: feel like that's an area I want to do a bit more research in.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think, just thinking as well about, um, I was watching the Effie film recently, the, the film and the interest in fashion um, and that visual culture as well, it seems to be, um, has a constant kind of interest for people. And yeah, music, there's so many crossovers and so much, so many different kind of genres that are sort of being inspired by the movement.
0: I, Hannah, I, we, we were speaking a while ago about your work at Witty. I I think it'd be a great idea to, maybe as one of our first episodes, maybe do a bit of a, a bit of an interview actually on site at Whittick. What do you think? Yeah,
1: definitely. I think this, they have such an incredible collection um, and it's incredibly groundbreaking. And even the story of Rosalie and Geoffrey Mander, who bought the collection, who are pioneering collectors um, in the kind of mid, mid 20th century. Um, their story is fascinating, and the art they collected, which they really collected for its bi- biographical significance, and to kind of tell the history of the movement more so than just the look of these artworks. So it's not a lot. There's some oil paintings, but it's not a lot of oil paintings. There's a lot of drawings. There's some beautiful sketchbooks there, letters, um, and. Um, I found out when I was researching that they have the work of 13 professional female artists in the collection and over 30 works by women artists, which is more than the National Gallery in London. Considering how many thousands of works in the National Gallery, it's really quite a unique collection. So sorry, I will stop waxing lyrical. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I've loved it since I was like eight. So yeah, I I will try and rein it in. But no, it'd be lovely. We could speak to Helen. Brat and who has been working at Whittock for, I've known her for 12 years, and I think she's been working there over 20, and she knows everything about everything. Um, so yeah, it would be really lovely, and we could do some filming there and look at a bit what the collection go behind the scenes a bit, some of the pieces that are more fragile, some of the drawings and the sketchbooks to be able to show that, you know, aren't able to be on display and um, very often. So yeah, I think that would be nice. There are lots of other collections also. <laughs> Not I'm just... just...
4: I was going to say, hand like it wasn't the the only the other week that I popped around to Whittaker Manor. And I was genuinely surprised with how much um, you guys have, particularly in the archives. Uh, I didn't know I was going to end up being knee deep in like Christmas cards <laughs> sent to the Manders, <laughs> thinking, "Oh my God, how much stuff do they actually have?" And yeah. it, you see, you know, even the staff, even like the volunteer uh, volunteers and the staff that work there, they're so knowledgeable and so friendly. It'd be mm-hmm. lovely to get those people involved as well.
1: Yeah, and I think people in the Pre-Raphaelite Society know of Whitick, but I think more generally, because of where it is, I think because it's obviously in the Midlands and in Wolverhampton, maybe there's less of a... People know less about other places, but definitely I think it would be great. And, well, the Midlands generally, you know, Birmingham's Gallery and, other, and the Barber, there's some amazing other collections that we could tap into.
0: Um, but yeah, that'd be great. It does seem to be a bit of a pre-Raphaelite hub, doesn't it, sort of Birmingham and, and, and the Midlands at the moment? I mean, there's... Mm. Three, three of us on the, uh, uh, on the podcast team and we're all in and around Birmingham, definitely. You,
4: probably detect with la- uh, we've got sidecar, you could probably detect that with our accents. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> <laughs> outside the yeah, UK has to <laughs> the best accent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't let it put you off. It's a, <laughs> it's a wonderful place. Really have great content, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, luckily we have beautiful, not
1: that not that Alex and Carl, your voices aren't lovely, but we have the lovely tones of Sherry and Esther as well. Um, <laughs>
0: to we do to that, which, which is where I was going when we put out I was hoping to ask Sherry and Esther about because it's something I know little about, sort of pre-Raphaelitism in Europe and pre-Raphaelitism in America. What what's what's the current sort of pre-Raphaelite scene, if you like, with the uh, galleries and art?
3: Um, I can take the U.S., definitely. Um, Delaware, actually, Museum of Art is the largest collection in the U.S. And they just redid their pre-Raphaelite gallery. So I'm hoping to go there soon. Uh, That was actually one of my stops for my thesis research. But due to COVID, I didn't get to go. Um, But I'm excited now because the galleries are reopened and it's just gonna be that much better of an experience. So I could probably do an episode there too, where I could take everyone around the galleries, you know, the US galleries. Um, Honestly, the pre-Raphaelites are few and far between in the US, (laughs) but the ones I've met, it's a great group of people and everyone's very supportive of each other's work. But in the university systems, there are not a lot of people who are working on that topic right now. Actually, 19th century just doesn't seem to be of um, a compelling interest for a lot of people. Most of my colleagues are in contemporary or modern. And here in Houston, Latinx art and um, the different Mesoamericans, you know, studies, those are more popular here where I'm located. So I'm sort of the fish out of water, but I, I've always had a passion for that period. So I'm just sticking with what, <laughs> what my interest is and in not being swayed.
0: <laughs> what, what about you, Esther? What, what about pre-Raphaelitism in Europe?
2: Well, in Europe, um, <laughs> I I know that there's some research going on um, uh, throughout Europe about, uh, yeah, pre uh, here uh, in Spain, I would say there's no, no so much going on, I guess. Um, to be honest, I don't even know that many people who know about the paraphites. It's like, it's like my passion so everyone who knows me knows about the paraphites, but outside of that it's like nobody knows them really. And yeah at the university level, yes, I've encountered, yeah, I've met a couple of people, well, including my uh, PhD supervisor. He's uh, he he has a course uh, at university level, and we actually that's one of the models I did with him, and it covers a uh because it was all about literature and visual arts. Um, so you got the paraphilics there, but outside of that, uh, I'm not sure. that's, I would say that maybe uh, there's more about poetry, maybe because uh, well. Poetry, uh, we have some of our uh, Spanish poets who were influenced by the Pro Raphaelites. Um, I guess not a, not a lot of people know about that, about the fact, but it's true, some of them. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Juan Ramon Jimenez. Uh, so he's a Spanish poet and he was very influenced by Dan- Dante Gabriel Rossetti. Um, but yeah, uh, Besides that, um, here in Spain, uh, I don't know either if we have a lot of parafoliatism like in museums. I went. I remember. I and I was very very um, happy about that. Because that's why I had to go. There was in Madrid uh, an exhibition. It was in a private gallery, and it was all about um, the Arts and Crafts movement and. There was a, yeah, an exhibit on William Morris, and it was very interesting, and I was really surprised that something like that came here. <laughs> and and I was actually very, very uh, surprised too to discover, I think I discovered that about a few months ago during, you know, uh, with uh, COVID and all that. I, I discovered that there's a museum in Malaga, so very near where I live, um, that has some burned Johns, and I, I actually have to check that out because I was really impressed. Um, I think there were uh, maybe some stained uh, window, glass windows, yeah, maybe. I'm sure I have to check it out and I have to go there to actually see for myself. Besides that, um, yeah, that has been also some exhibitions that have been going on throughout Europe. I think um, I had the opportunity to go to an, an exhibition too in in Italy, about the Perapholites, I think I did a, a review on that on the uh, yeah, on the Society. um yeah, on the review. And um yeah, but besides that, I don't know if there are, there's a lot of going on. I'm I feel a little bit like yeah, I agree with Sherry. So I feel like you in that way, like official fish out of water. Like yeah, there's not so much going on around. So something we have to work hopefully maybe this podcast also you know gathers tension from yeah since we are also an international society and we are international ourselves we are all from different places so maybe it can get yeah across everywhere
0: well Esther I feel I I must apologize a little bit for giving you all of Europe there That wasn't
2: a... Yeah, that was a lot. Of, that was a lot. Of, like Sorry. there you go, a whole continent for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> also, technically, Carl, we are in Europe. It, yeah, I, I was going to say. Of, I mean,
0: just about.
1: Can't get too political. <laughs> kind of
2: go, yeah.
0: Right. This is before I cause any more controversies, <laughs> shall we? <sighs> shall we just? Bring the tone down a bit and talk about maybe our favourite paintings and poems. Because Hannah, I think you'll be familiar with my one.
1: Ooh, let's have a look. I'm interested, Carl.
0: So, so my favourite painting, and I've I've picked a painting over a poem. It was it was a close call. I very nearly, for sheer bloody-minded gothicness, went. Forward. That surprises me. Well, well it, it was close. I very nearly went for Swinburne's The Leper, but maybe I'll save that for a different podcast. Um, my my favourite painting is Burne Jones' uh, Love Among the Ruins, which I know is held at Whittick. A version of it, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. there's a couple of versions, isn't there? But the one at Whitick is, yeah, well, that's my favourite version. It's um, inspired by Robert Browning poem of the same name and it talks about the poem talks about a soldier who's returned from the war to find a ruined city and his his love that's uh, waited for him, and I think it does that that really typical sort of Pre-Raphaelite thing of putting love quite high up on a pedestal that's completely unobtainable. But I think for Burne Jones. It, it, it's unusual because there's almost a little bit of sort of emotional engagement. You know, he's got these very ambivalent faces that don't give a lot. I think in Love Among the Ruins, so you've got, you've got some motion in the characters there, but I, I like the way that love holds the painting together. The painting for me feels very fragile. Like it could just sort of fall apart at any moment, but, You've got the two figures that are holding each other close and they're holding each other in. And it's rather sort of an, it's quite an unnatural embrace. but I think that highlights love as the big concept in the painting and it, it, it's that love that's holding the two characters together and is also holding the entire painting together. I keep a picture of it, a print of it in my hall and it's the first and last thing I see every night. so I think it's beautiful.
1: Lovely. I think that's a brilliant choice. I think it is. It's so, like you said, um, kind of evocative, quite melancholic, but a really beautiful depiction of these two lovers. And the story with him and Maria Zambacco behind it. Yeah, I think it's such a good
0: choice. That's a beautiful painting. What's your favourite, Hannah?
1: Well, I can't pick a favourite of all time because I just stress too much over it. It's like it changes um, all the time. So I thought I'd go for one in the moment. And it's not one at Rittick, surprisingly. I thought I need to branch out. (laughs) Um, It's actually, it's in the Tate. Um, It is in Elizabeth Siddle. And I saw it for the first, was it the first time? Well, the first time in a while at the Paraphylite Sisters exhibition. And I'll hold it up to camera. I think you can see it. So it's a beautiful watercolour, it's Sir Patrick's Fence, um, and it uh, it's, um, comes from Walter Scott's uh, Scottish, traditional Scottish ballads, and it's these collection of women and children kind of looking out longingly and apprehensively um, at their husbands and fathers, going on a journey, so they're looking out to the sea, not knowing if they'll ever see them again. And I think what Siddle, I think, does so well in her artwork is in really quite simple depictions of these female figures, you get such a sense of the deep emotional um, intensity that is there. So there's a beautiful depiction of a mother and child in Embrace and the look on the mother's face of kind of both despair and longing and also kind of knowing that, you know, she has a child to carry on for. And we think as well, and so Jan Marsh has speculated that we think the standing female figure is a self-portrait of Siddle in this, potentially it is her, which is quite unusual as well, for Siddle to insert herself in a picture. And I just think it's beautiful. I I do love Siddle's naive style, and it's just a really lovely depiction of sort of longing and loss and love. So actually it's quite similar to think about um, your choice, Carl, but that's for the moment. It changes on a daily, weekly basis, so we'll go with this Siddle for today.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is difficult to pick one favourite of all time. Um, I, it was interesting you talking about the Siddle illustrations for the Walter Scott ballads. I, I've, I've just been writing a little bit on that for my PhD. There's also Amazing. a little bit of that the, the overlap between pre-Raphaelitism and traditional song. Hmm. Banking that for a later for my article later on. Sherry, if you could pick a favorite, what would you pick? Uh,
3: I would definitely say my favorite. I, I agree with Hannah. It just changes from moment to moment, and it's impossible to pick just one painting. Uh, but because of my research right now, I'm really hooked on Ford Maddox Brown's The Dream of Sardanapalus. The one that I'm working with is a sketch with a little bit of wash on it. And it was done based on Byron's poem of Sardompolis. And he did the illustrate. It was an illustration for William Michael Rossetti's book, a collection of Byron's poems. And it's just fascinating to me. And I really love that he has incorporated the background is of Assyrian figures, which were recent, had been recently discovered at Nineveh. And it's just such a contrast because, uh, you know, in school, you always hear of um, the death of Sardopolis, and you have this big graphic painting. And this one's just so different because it's him leaned against Mira. And it's just sort of surreal to me be, at the moment. Um, but yeah, my, my painting of choice changes weekly (laughs) and artist of choice changes weekly. You know, it sort of depends what I'm working with and, and what I'm reading and, and exposed to at the moment. And so it's hard to pick, but I would say that's definitely what I've been thinking about lately.
0: Pretty good to hear. Esther, have you got a favorite or favorite that at the moment
2: <laughs> yeah i change that uh, too all the time um it depends on yeah on my mood it depends on lots of things but um i don't know like for example poetry uh, regarding poetry uh i would say that my favorite right now would be uh christine and market i am analyzing that uh i mean diving into that poem and it, there are so many things that could be said about that poem, and it's incredible how many artists and musicians and um, visual artists have have responded to that poem, and how everyone has interpreted that poem from a different perspective, uh, changing, adding things. And it's incredible to see all the yeah, that the yeah the interaction between. Uh, yeah, among all the artists and throughout time, how it has changed. Uh, but, and I I have to admit that I really like uh, Dante Gabriel uh, Rossetti's illustrations uh, on that poem too. Uh, I really like them a lot. And yeah, so that would be from poetry. So to add something different from the rest of you, um, paintings. I, I don't know if I have a favorite painting right now. I'm really always drawn to Rosetti's paintings, uh, like, I don't know, um, the Blessed Damocel, I actually, I actually really like the, the, the fact that, is, that we have the poem and the painting at the same time. This, again, the interrelationship between painting and poetry. Uh, so all the paintings that are based on poetry, uh, are, yeah, all the paintings based on poetry, but at the same time, and we have Rossetti as a visual poet so artist poet at the same time I really I find that fascinating and also the fact that he at the same time in the in the poem he is responding to Poe like uh, to Poe's poem Raven which is actually one of my the poems in my corpus for my PhD dissertation too so uh, I don't know I find it all this whole thing this relationship is fascinating
0: Esther you just said so many things that lead me nicely now into Alex because I, I liked your crossover between the paintings and the poetry. I, Alex actually introduced me to the term for that. That's called ekphrasis. Ek, Is that right, Alex? I can't. I That's can't. the one. Yeah, Is that the
2: one? Yeah. Ekphrasis?
0: That's the one. And Alex. Christina Rossetti's Goblin Market. I had the pleasure of teaching out some of Alex's A-level students um, <laughs> yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And whatever you've taught them about Christina Rossetti's Goblin Market, um, you've done it very well.
4: Ah, oh, well, thank you, Carl. Thank you very <laughs> much. <laughs> um, in terms of like what I really enjoy looking at, which by the way, Esther, if you wanted to look into Ekphrasis, Stephen Cheek, he yeah. does a wicked piece of work on Ekphrasis, and it's basically like every person's, every student's staple. If you're looking into something like that, you need to look at that book. Um, in terms of my favourites, <laughs> really, I'm, I'm so glad that you put me last because I've had to really sit there and think, OK, I really need to be serious about this. So favourite poem is Christina's Shut Out because I love the context surrounding it. I love the imagery. I love absolutely everything about it. I think it's so... Is it informal for me to say sassy? I just love it. It's proper. got a proper, proper bit of attitude. Um, In terms of favourite paintings, I mean, I love the uh, uh, Dante Gabriel Rossetti's cartoon sketch of Christina having a tantrum. That literally brings me so much joy every time I see it. I just, I will never get tired of looking at that. (laughs) Um, Brilliant stuff.
1: Yeah, just to say, I am um, you know, last year when we we're all kind of immediately locked down in March, people were recreating pictures. I recreated that in my lounge <laughs> just as the window cleaner walked past and he thought I was about to kill someone. I'm holding up this axe, I look crazy. I'll find you the photo, I look really, really scary, but yeah, he just looked completely horrified. Please bring that so I can have it printed out <laughs> but on my wall. A very good choice, very we can good. Choice. In, we could
4: put it up in Wittick Manor next to the original.
2: Oh, god. <laughs>
4: Ten. Okay, <laughs> in terms of other things that I love, I love Holman Hunt's Awakening Conscience. I think it's such a beautiful painting, enriched with such symbolism, everything about it. I could talk for hours about that painting and the amount of like metaphoricalness in that painting is just absolutely outstanding. In terms of my favourite 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 that I could talk about all day um, has to be my home girl, Rebecca Solomon, her work on the uh, The Young Teacher. Mm. Uh, that features Fanny Eaton I think that there's such an attention to detail there and it provides such a social commentary in terms of transcending racial and ethnic boundaries I think it's such a beautiful piece of work encapsulates it perfectly and I think it encapsulates her and what she really wanted to put across when she was you know at the peak of her career um so has to be the young teacher for me I mean I could go like I said like you guys said I could go on all day about my favorite painting of the week favorite poem of the week but that's me being serious. That's serious, Alex, choosing one.
0: It's, it's hard. It yeah. is hard to pick. And, well, fortunately now we've got an entire podcast to discuss all of our different favourite poems and paintings in future episodes. I think we are going to have to wrap it up for today. So if you'd like to find out some more about the Pre-Raphaelites and the Pre-Raphaelite Society please visit our website at wwwpre society.org and consider subscribing to our journal. And just thank Sherry, Alex, Esther and Hannah for a great first episode. Thank you, Carl.
1: Thank you, Carl.
4: Thank you all.
0: Thank you all for listening and we'll see you soon. Bye.